G'day gang, this particular podcast is a little different to our normal interview setup, and I do apologize in advance if it comes off as too much of an advertisement in this particular context. In my work at the flight school, we get a lot of questions about vet student loans for helicopter license training. There's also a bit of misinformation about the loans kicking around out there online and in crew rooms. The audio you're about to hear in a moment is a recorded conversation that I created for our flight school website with Kathy, who is one of my co-workers. I'm resharing it here on the podcast because hopefully it'll be of interest to some of you and will help address some of the incorrect information out there that is tripping up some students when they take out these loans and then later find out that there's some catches involved. Essentially, vet student loans are a vocational training funding scheme administered by the Australian government. A lot of you I know aren't Australian citizens, so this is not going to be of too much relevance to you. And if that's the case, you may want to punch out at this point and wait for the the next podcast, which I'm hoping to record in the next couple of days. Don't forget to celebrate World Helicopter Day coming up on Sunday the 18th of August this year. You can see the events planned globally at worldhelicopterday.com. But if you do want to find out about how you can get assistance funding your commercial helicopter license in Australia, then the next 40 minutes or so is going to give you a, a really good grounding on how this particular student loan program works. So let's get into it. All right, welcome, Kathy, and uh, let's uh, be talking vet student loans today. So the things we've been covering off are the two biggest questions we normally get about vet student loans and helicopter training, which is the employment chances and salary, what vet student loans are and how they apply to helicopter training, eligibility criteria, typical CPLH course structures and the electives that go along with that, the 105-hour course versus 150-hour course, the costs involved, application process, some of the pros and cons of using vet student loans for your helicopter training and how we structured that training here at AeroPower. So let's uh, jump into it. All set? Sure. That's good. Okay. So the very first questions we normally tackle uh, in terms of email or phone calls coming in, what would you say they, they would be? What jobs are there for me in the industry um, post and where am I likely to be going with my training? Um, and we like to be very honest with our students to let them know that aviation is a really tough industry to get yourself into, regardless of whether you're looking at fixed wing or the rotary world. Rotary training, it's a really niche market, um, so the job opportunities are limited. But the majority of our students go on to roles in a charter or tourism-based capacity. So the other thing that students need to be wary of is that often that will involve travel. So you might be away from your capital city um, and you need to go to those areas to talk to the people as well. Um, so not just sending a resume from... Brisbane or Sydney, yeah, making sure that you get out there. Yeah, being able to have a face and some kind of context to put to the, the name on the paper rather than just having you know your resume appear in an email box or uh, in the mail. Uh, so, yeah, it's, that's one thing. And I guess with that, we try and paint a picture too that in terms of if we can talk you out of doing your helicopter licence, in some ways that's what we're trying to do initially uh, because it, it is a tough industry in terms of especially the first steps in the door because you come out as a as a brand new pilot and we talk often people about having you know something else as well as employability skills so whether it's sales experience social media website experience retail something that goes along because everyone who's applying for that job is going to have a helicopter license and so you need to have something else the small business and again most companies where you start with will be a small business so you need some other skills that a small business can use other than your straight helicopter license I mean, indications 
And then if we can't talk you out of it and you're still super keen to do it and passionate about it, then that's great because then we can you know, work and work with you and obviously get the word here, provide you, go through, try and make you as employable as possible. Um, but uh, yeah, we do definitely want people to research their options before they, they start out. Um, and with that first job as well, what we find is that it may not be a flying role that you're looking at to start with. So being prepared to do that ground job for 12 months or six months and then gaining the trust of the employer before they'll actually put you on as a flying pilot. Um, so be willing to get your hands dirty before you actually get in the machine. And realistically, we're looking at, we'll talk a little bit later about the R44, but we're talking the Australian market here. And generally, unless you have a already like a mustering background and you're going to go out and fly uh, in a mustering role, then you're going to be flying something like an R44 in a, a scenic role, a charter, uh, and I guess that's what you'd be expecting as your first first job. In terms of salary, which is the, the very next question we normally get, look, it's going to vary hugely depending on the size of the operator you go work for, the type of machines you're doing, what other qualifications uh, you have. I guess to give people an indication, though, the, the, the pilot award uh, that is published for, for Australia for air pilots has a brand new helicopter pilot doing charter as approximately 55,000 uh, per year plus the, the 9.5% uh, super on top of that. So you can pretty much expect that for your, your first job. All right, the next thing we want to talk about, Cathy, what is VET student loans, some of the background to it and, and how it applies to helicopter training. Okay, so a VET loan or a VET student loan um, is a loan from the government to help you out with training essentially in um, vocational education adult training, so outside of a university environment. Um, so it's similar though to something like a HECS program that you might have heard of um, more commonly. With the VET student loans, um, students generally as a rule have about $104,000 that they can use for their loans. At the moment that's a lifetime loan but as of 2020 that is possibly changing so we just advise people to have a look out at the study assist website to have a look at those details but this is a loan that you have to pay back to the Australian government so the loan itself um, is paid back or sorry I should say um, goes through the Australian tax office and then it's paid back once you start earning money Um, the threshold for 2019-2020 is looking at a repayment of when you hit the $45,881 mark and what you're paying back is about 1% of that loan. So if you meet on that minimum, you know, we're talking about minimum pilot wage of 55000 it's about 1% to 2% and sort of scale that the more you earn, the, the, the greater percentage you pay back in your tax each year. Each year, yep. Now, 104000 that's your, at this stage, a lifetime loan. So you would do several different courses as long as it comes in underneath that, that cap, essentially what we're looking at. Yeah. In terms of aviation and, the, and we call it and the, the diploma of, of aviation helicopter um, or commercial pilot license helicopter, what's the maximum loan amount you can get against that? Sure. So there's a loan cap for the individual diploma of aviation commercial helicopter license course of $77,571. So that's the maximum amount you can borrow. That doesn't mean that that will fully cover your fees. So just depending on where you do your training will depend on whether that's covering all your fees or whether there's a gap associated with that additional to the 77,000. And is there any restrictions on how you can access that amount of money in terms of what courses that goes towards? In terms of it has to be a you know, it has to be a diploma it course. It does have yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. So, yeah, it does have to be a diploma course. Um, and it has to be with an approved provider as well. So it can't just be with 
um, anyone has to be with an approved registered training organisation who is approved for vet student loans. Yeah, so it is different to a straight CASA licence where you go to a flight school and train. This is actually falls under the framework of, of qualifications where it's called a diploma and you get your CASA licence on the way through that, that diploma. So the thing to remember with your vet student loans as well is that it is a loan and there is an interest really associated with it. So there is a 20% loan fee that gets paid back on top of whatever you borrow from the government. So say you have to borrow the full 77,571, you're looking at paying back about $93,000 as your repayments to the government. Yeah, so it's really important, I guess, is to, to hammer that point home. So if you go to the bank and, and you borrow $77,000, you would pay it back at a, you know, possibly a personal loan rate of say seven or 8%. Uh, so this is no interest fee attached, but what you do is you get lumped up front with a 20% loan fee. And so when you finish your course, you will have a, a $93,000 debt if you take out the full loan, as opposed to the loan amount you actually get to put towards your training, which is closer to 77000 Does it go up at all once you've incurred the debt or... So there's no interest as such that goes with the debt. However, it does go up with CPI each year. So you're probably looking at about 3% on average that that will go up. And is it a, a binary choice? You have to do the full thing and take the, the maximum loan or can you take a, a portion of that $77,000 and pay for it some of it yourself? How does that work? So there are options to fully fund in terms of taking the full amount of loan. You can fully pay for it yourself or you can part. Um, loan as well so you can choose the units of study that you'd like to use your loan for so there's no obligation to use the full amount of money so all that will do is if you've chosen to pay some of it up front what it means in the end is that you've got a reduced loan and therefore that reduced 20% on top in a good example we've had some students go through who have then decided the last 20 hours of their training they've, they've shifted say to the R44 and they've put the last 20 hours of their training onto the the vet student loan but have self-funded the remainder of it the, the structure, how does it work in drawing down that loan amount and the core structure in terms of when the, the costs accrue during training? So with our training, what we were required to do is, with the loan, have a minimum of three fee periods that are set up throughout the course. Um, and with those fee periods, there are census dates associated with it. With the census date, up until the census date, you are eligible to pull out from a course and incur no costs. Post-census date, you're up for the cost of that unit of study for the fee period um, that's covered. And so that's how we draw down your loan. So it's not a full, if you're taking the full 77000 it's not an upfront full $77,000 loan. That's divided by the number of fee periods and the units of study that we do. And that's a, that's a minimum. So the government mandates it has to be at least three uh, fee periods. And I guess if you think you've, uh, you know, quite expensive course, there are going to be large chunks if you do it in, you know, three amounts. Uh, and you incur that loan as you roll past each of those census dates for those periods. So one of the providers that offers it is uh, TAFE Queensland, and they have three periods, which uh, basically each time you roll through, it's about $27,000 per period, and so you will incur that whole cost before you actually finish your, your course. Uh, example for AeroPower, here we've cut our course into to 12 periods at the moment. It may go down to six next year, we'll see. But each of those 12 periods is about a block of about $7,000 as you roll through, depending on the, on the different periods. So that basically, as you roll through each module, your loan accrues as you go through that course. Now you mentioned before that some of the courses and pretty much all the courses that I know of are actually in excess of that $77,000 government loan. 
So if a course, for example, the one we've got listed here is, is $82,000, how do you manage that difference between the loan amount and the, and the cost of the course? For example, at the moment, our cost is around $82,000 to complete our course. So you're looking at around a $4,200 gap between the cost of our course and what the government will fund you for the loan cap for the course. So with that gap fee, um, that is payable direct to us as an institution. And what we do is we take that from you as you go through the course. So what we do initially is take a deposit amount of money that's drawn down on as we go through the units of study with the gap payment that's applicable to each unit of study. And then as that reduces, then we top that up to ensure that the rest of the gap payments are covered throughout the fee periods. So it's not a one-off straight up $4,200 fee. It's a maximum of $1,500 at a time. Yeah, it's chopped up. So you're basically paying that progressively as you go through, through the course. So that covers the, the loan amount and I guess the gap payment. What other costs are then going to be involved in terms of what, what isn't covered in the vet student loans? Sure. So there's definitely some upfront costs that you need to be aware of when you're doing helicopter training. So the things that the, we can't cover under your tuition fees are things like your theory package, the books, charts, pens, rulers and consumables that you need to participate in the course. And these are generally things that you'll use post your training anyway. So they're going to become um, part of your industry package. So you'll use them when you're out in your career. The other things to be mindful of is that there's an aviation medical. Um, you also have to do an aviation security identification card, also known as an ASIC. Um, any additional training that's required, which is outside of the course program, and then any resets of any of the theory exams, should you have to do any additional attempts at them. The cost, you're probably looking at around $1,500 um, for those out-of-pocket fees, just as an initial upfront cost prior to getting onto the course as well. And that's just the way the government has structured that vet loan program is they've excluded, some things can be included in the, in the program and in the vet student loan and then some things that they list that you just can't include. So that ends up being a, you know, a third bucket of money, yes. So you've got your vet student loan amount, you've got the, the gap payment and then you've got some upfront fees in that. The other thing really important to consider too if you're doing this, we try and highlight to people, is the courses take anywhere between 27 and 33 weeks to go through and do your training. And you still need to be able to cover your transport, accommodation, living and food expenses for that, you know, 27 to 33 weeks. So you do need some amount of money just to purely live in, in that time. The thing for that as well is that AeroPower is approved by Human Services as an approved provider. So students may be eligible for student payments through them, but that's obviously on a case-by-case -case individual basis that you need to talk to Human Services about. Yeah, so it's basically like an allowance... For, for training as you go through if you qualify for those things. The other important thing, I guess, is every course that's out there will be priced off the, the absolute minimum CASA hours. So CASA has a, a minimum of 105 hours before you can go and sit your, your flight test. And it's, it's not too bad. It's actually, it's pretty much on the money in terms of progress that majority of people will go for their license very, very close to that amount of, of hours. But you have to realize if you do take a little bit longer to get through the training, then that will be a cost outside of that, those initial vet student loan package rates and, and the, the quoted costs. So a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of figures there. And I guess it's, again, it's a quite an expensive undertaking. And we really do want people to know as much as they possibly can before they start and, and get into it, rather than find out as they go through. So 
you do want to do as much possible research as you can and ask as many questions as you can before you sign up for any of this type of training. In terms of who can access it, Cathy, can you just walk us through what the minimum requirements are for someone to access the, the loans? Sure. So to access the loan, there is just some eligibility criteria that you have to meet. And the main criteria is that you are an eligible person, which is essentially an Australian citizen, um, a qualifying New Zealand citizen, or a permanent humanitarian visa holder. So there's a few um, funny quirks that go with those. So if you fall into one of those categories, best to give us a call and we can have a chat about that. You must also be studying an approved course of study and be studying with an approved provider. So obviously that's with us because we are an approved provider and are um, providing you with an approved course. You need to apply to the government using the approved form, which we actually manage for you and help you go through the process of. And you must also have money available within this fee help balance program. And as you're going through the course, you also are required to confirm your engagement and progression to make sure that your loan can continue throughout the course. We're finding as a provider that it's very strict delivery, all this stuff. You know, the government is handing out large amounts of money for people to go and do training. And I guess they've been burnt in other industries in the past. And so it's very tightly controlled and administrated and documented. Uh, So that's the biggest thing we've found going through this. Yeah, no shortage of of requirements in terms of meeting that to, to access the funding. What's the layout of a, a typical course structure? Because again, it's got to be an approved course, so it's got to fall as a diploma. Uh, how do they normally lay out a diploma in terms of modules? Sure. So um, with the diploma, there's a standard set out. So that what we deliver is the AVI 50315 Diploma of Aviation Commercial Helicopter Licence. So within that, there are 30 units, there's 29 compulsory core units, and then there's one elective that we've chosen to deliver. So with our course, what we do is all the training that's required up to a commercial helicopter license. And then we have a couple of electives that we can choose from, but the one that we've most likely going to be delivering for you is a low level endorsement. Yeah. Is it endorsement or rating? It's it's basically rating or operational rating for the low level. Now, the provider chooses what that course is. So when we select, when the provider selects their diploma course, they're gonna choose that elective. So there's not too much leeway there. You've got 29 core units, which essentially is your commercial license in terms of what CASA considers a commercial license. And then under the training framework, we can put in in an elective. Electives are things like low level, night VFR, night vision equipment, uh, Hewitt, Sling. Uh, So there's options like that. Realistically, of those which is going to be most useful for you uh, as a student going through a brand new pilot, uh, we believe is low level rating, so that's why we selected that. But you don't have the freedom, I guess, is to turn up and, and select it for yourself. That's done by the provider, and they'll say, This is it in our course, uh, and that's how it's set. But yeah, our, our viewpoint is the most useful one of those electives will be the, the low level uh, training. With the 105-hour course, I guess there's two courses you need. You do a 105-hour course or a 150-hour course in terms of what CASA is interested in. So the diploma is based off the 105-hour course for most of it. Uh, it comes with some restrictions from CASA. If you're doing the reduced course, the 105-hour course, you can do a maximum of two helicopter types as you go through that training. There's a minimum of 20 hours per helicopter type. And the last 30 hours have to be completed within the last 90-day period there. But normally the biggest thing that catches people out is the two types of helicopters. 
So if you switch helicopter types during your training, you then can't switch again uh, later on to a third helicopter type under that course. The second course is a 150 hour course. And really the only people who are going to be doing the 150 hour course are people who have a, a fixed wing background, who have already got a, a bit flying and there's an amount of experience because you can put 80 hours of your fixed wing flying towards the hour requirement for the 150 hour course and then just complete the remainder on helicopters. Otherwise, most people, if you're starting with, with no experience at all, are going to do the 105 hour course. But there is quite a few people switching over from the fixed wing world, uh, so that falls under that bracket. And again, if that's going to apply to you, you probably just need to do a little bit of research or find someone who can talk you through that breakdown of hours. As an example of what a standard course looks like, we might just talk about how our course runs. And again, most are going to be fairly similar. Regardless of where you go, you're going to have to do your seven uh, CASA commercial theory uh, topics. And so they are basically examined in a testing center externally. And you could quite easily self-study those at home if you chose to and go sit the exams and get a piece of paper and say you've passed it. Or you can come and do a full-time theory course at a provider and get the training towards that. There's 105 hours of flight training. And as far as I know, we are probably the only provider at the moment offering this as we include 12 hours of virtual reality uh, flight sim training in that package as well as a, as a separate thing. So probably the only school possibly in the Southern Hemisphere at the moment doing that. But anywhere you'll go, you'll get your 105 hours flight training. Pre and post flight briefings includes the, the testing fees to actually go and sit your commercial theory topics and actually covers the, the day of the flight test. It covers the aircraft hire and the testing officer fees for the actual flight test itself. Lengthwise, Cathy, what are you finding in terms of how long it takes to, to get through? We're programming our course around 28 weeks. We do, though, think that it's wise for you to allow an extra couple of weeks in that for things that come up. In the aviation world, things like maintenance, weather, illness all kind of pop up right when you're not expecting them to. So giving yourself a bit of a buffer, but programming on a 28-week program. With that, what we try and do is get the theory done first. That's the way that our program's structured. So pretty much the first 11 weeks is full-time dedicated theory and then post that, the flight training. It is a full-time course, and so lots. one of the really common questions that we get is, is it a full-time course? Do I have to be there full-time? And the answer to that is yes, and that's the only way that you can access the student loans. The classroom itself for the theory is generally Monday to Friday. Um, we're looking at an 8.30 to 3.30 time slot, with the expectation that you are going to be doing additional study in the evening and the weekends, because it is a pretty intense period. The flight phase also is a full-time component, looking on average of about five flights a week. Now, five flights a week might not seem like much, but by the time you put in the briefing time, the additional time that's associated with navigation flights, it does actually add up to being here for quite a large portion of your time. Especially the theory, because you don't get behind, because as soon as you finish one subject, you're rolling to the next. And so it is quite a heavy study load during that, that theory component where you're going back to back on, on subjects. Uh, so it would be hard to kind of fit, you know, too much part-time work in around while you're doing that. With the recognition of prior learning, I guess that's a, you know, an established term in terms of how the qualification uh, frameworks uh, work. And if you do have prior uh, aviation experience, so again, especially coming in from the fixed wing world, uh, we were talking about before, so you've heard a hold a commercial license or a, a private license aeroplane, you can have some of that time counted towards 
the, the completion of the training and cut down the number of hours and reduce the total cost. Similarly, if you have finished a, a uh, one of the CASA theory exams, you don't need to reset that exam again. Once you've passed that exam, you've passed. Uh, there is a two-year window, though, for when those exams have to be completed. I missed anything important there on RPL or recognition of prior learning? Uh, no, I think that's it. The thing for people to remember, though, is that the what you'll find in the CASA programs listed is that they have a minimum time that you need to transfer across. What we're finding, though, is that those minimum times might be a little bit longer in order to get you to what we consider a competency standard. If you're looking at transferring across from fixed wing to the helicopter world, that minimum of the 70 hours probably isn't enough to complete our program. So you might be looking more towards the 80, 85 hour mark to get yourself across the line in terms of competency for us. So again, it's a minimum that CASA are giving you rather than to get to competency. What's a typical application process look in terms of thinking, yep, okay, I'm interested, to getting through and having the loan approved? Sure. So what we need candidates to do is send us an email or um, give us a phone call. And what we'll do is we'll send out an enrolment form. So get all of your details. And there's a number of forms that are requested as a part of your application process. And one of the things that we find is slowing down the enrolment process is people not providing the right documentation. So as you're going through the enrolment form, make sure that you're reading it really carefully and what documentation you do need to provide us. So there are things like proving your citizenship, giving us your high school certificate and a resume as well. And a couple of those documents need to be certified. So making sure that that process happens as well. Once people have passed that initial enrolment form stage, um, what we do is we schedule in things like an interview with yourself, the CFI. We do an assessment of the resume that you've provided with us and then also we set you up with an online literacy and numeracy testing package which can, can be completed at home in your own time. It takes about two hours in total to complete that numeracy and literacy testing and then from there we can get some results based on that. And I guess we're doing this process because it is, you know, it's a reasonably difficult course and fast paced to go through and so we want to make sure that as you apply and, and go through essentially a selection process that you're going to have the best chance of one getting through the training uh, with minimal uh, difficulties but then also I guess why we ask for the resume and do the interviews and things is to see you know have an idea of how employable you're going to be at the end of the training uh, to give it, you again we're selecting people the best chance who are going to pick up work in the industry after training because again the training is just the very first part of it and after that you still got to go and find that first job, gain your experience, and, and get busy working out in the industry. There's a couple of things I guess like people are aware of is the providers can't require you to do any minimum flying before you apply or as part of your selection process. So we have heard of students being told that they have to do five hours of pre-flight screening or to pay uh, for the assessment process. And under the, the VET rules, that's not the case. So there's no obligation to go for any kind of flights beforehand and be assessed or, or pay for assessment. And having said that, it probably is a good idea to at least do a, a trial flight uh, for two reasons. One, you just jump in the air and, and make sure you're suited to it um, before you go and commit too, too far down the track and, and too much money towards it. And also just to give the provider a bit of a, uh, a test run just to see what the, they look like when you turn up, helicopter, helicopters look, how the instruction is delivered. Again, just to have a bit more of a, a warm and fuzzy feeling before you go and commit to such a large project with a company. The other thing that we 
definitely recommend that people do is head on out and try and get your medical completed before you sign up for too much training. The reason for that is that we obviously want you to make sure that you're medically suited to be able to hold a class one aviation medical, meaning that you can work within the commercial training environment. We'd hate you to get to a solo standard when you actually have to have that medical to get off and then realise that there's something medically that means that you can't do it and then you've you know, got a loan for probably twenty or $30,000 that you now have to pay back but can't hold a qualification for. Yeah, so as we said, this, you know, please research as much as you can, ask questions. Uh, and yeah, you know, ideally have things like medical done very, very early on in the process. What does our program look like uh, in terms of an average kind of delivery program? Okay, so what we've decided to do for our standard program is have two helicopter types. So the one that you're doing most of your training on is the Cabri G2. So you do around 84 hours on that with your initial training. And then what we've got structured is the last 21 hours in a Robinson 44. Again, like we've mentioned previously, that's probably the type of helicopter that you're going to be doing your first paid position on. So we really want you to walk out with something that gives you some relevant industry experience rather than just all the time on a training type helicopter. So you've got something that may help you get that first foot in the door, having some time on a type as opposed to another candidate who may have just went all the way through on a Robinson 22. Yeah, and I guess traditionally the, the R22 would have been a common training helicopter in, in Australia and people would finish their licence on that and then possibly do an endorsement training in the R44 with maybe you know, three, four hours on it uh, and then uh, everyone's applying for the same jobs. And our thinking is that if you can apply with slightly more R44 time, one, you're going to be more comfortable when you go for a, a job interview and go for a check ride. But again, in terms of just that first step is very, very competitive. It's just going to give you a little bit more on paper that's going to reduce the risk for the, the operator taking you on as a, as a new pilot. Again, with the, the Cabri G2, uh, I guess we've invested in that platform as a, a new modern uh, training machine. And again, if you research online the, the Cabri uh, versus the Robinsons, you'll find you know, some large differences in terms of safety and the presentation of the cockpit, how the aircraft handles. So it's very much a, a modern uh, two-seat trainer that has a lot in common with larger Airbus products in terms of the Finistrum tail, the way the rotor blades rotate opposite to American uh, machines. And it's very, very similar in terms of design of the rotor head and things like that. So leaving the course, you'll have a little bit of experience on European helicopter types as well as the R44, which again is going to be for the foreseeable future, probably you know one of the most popular types for the, for the first job. I guess if we jump there to, I think we've covered some of the figures in terms of, of course costs, but uh, talking more specifically about the, the course offered here at, at Aeropower, uh, do you want to talk through what our individual costs are for those if we haven't covered those? So just to recap for everyone, so our standard course, which is the one we are just talking about on the Cabri G2 and the Robinson 44, is currently $81,818.63. And the maximum loan amount that you can get for the aviation diploma is $77,571. So again, just reiterating, we've got that gap fee of $4,247, which is payable direct to us in those $1,500 deposit instalment amounts. Um, so again, just remembering anything that you borrow from the government on your loan does have the 20% fee added on top that you start paying back once you've earned that $45,000. Yeah, so if you only take out a portion of that $77,000, then you only, you know, obviously accrue a 20% loan fee on that if you part fund it. Uh, 
Uh, if you do take out the whole loan amount, again, just be aware that you do end up with a about a $93,000 debt to the government that you'll pay back uh, through your, your tax, through the Australian Taxation Office, at a you know starting off at about a 1% payback at the lower levels. Again, just what isn't covered, so we went through before in terms of theory, books, maps, charts, rulers, those sorts of things. So you're still out of pocket for those ancillary expenses and for medicals, assets cards in that regard. And again, you also have to live for that you know, 28 to 30 odd weeks. So you need to factor in your, your living costs. In terms of once you've been accepted and offered a position on the course, uh, there's a, I guess there's like a 14 day cooling off period in terms of when the paperwork has to be processed. Uh, and there's a fifteen hundred dollar, in our case, you know, part payment towards the gap fees as you go through. In terms of some of the documentation things, like the things like government ECAFs and some other terminologies as we go through, can you describe what the ECAF is, what the fee notice period is, and things like that? Sure. So once you've been accepted onto our course, is when you will start from us getting lots of different bits of paperwork with lots of different acronyms on them. And what happens once you've been accepted onto the course and you've paid us the $1,500 gap deposit, then what we do is we start processing your application for a student loan. Now that's something that we as a provider do for you. And this is through what's called the government ECAF system. So you'll be sent a email from the government to say that we as a provider have applied for a loan for you. You then have two business days as a cooling off period in order to make sure that you're happy to accept that loan. So within that, you need to have made sure that you've read the student loans uh, student handbook that's provided for you as a part of that to make sure that you are happy with all of those terms and conditions that we've been talking about in terms of the additional 20% fee and also when you're starting to have to repay back that loan. The thing with the loan that we haven't mentioned as well is to remember that it doesn't disappear. So if you leave the country or you go bankrupt, as soon as you start earning that $45,000 again, it comes back and you do need to start repaying it. So once your loan's all been processed um, and come through, what we do is we provide you with a statement of covered fees. And with the covered fees, what it does is it outlines for you the cost of each unit of study, the amount that will be covered under your loan, and then the gap fee that's payable to us for that unit of study. You also get a fee notice, which is provided 14 days prior to each census date for the fee periods. So as I was saying before, we've decided to have four fee periods. And within those four fee periods, there'll be 12 um, units of study, each with their own census date. So on a fee notice, you'll generally have three units of study, each with an individual um, census date on them. And you're up for that amount of money or loan to the government once the census date has passed for each of those units of study. The next bit of paperwork that you get from us along the way is called a Commonwealth Assistance Notice and that tells you that your census date has passed for that unit of study and now that debt is on record with the ATO against your tax file number. Alright, I guess the next topic would be some of the advantages and disadvantages of going down the, the VET student loan uh, route for your paleohelper training. The first one, I guess, is that 20% loan fee that gets tacked on. If, if you could fund your helicopter training any other method, whether that was direct upfront with, with savings, they say about parents or any other sort of family funding source or possibly a personal loan, and then you know you can pay back reasonably quickly. And again, we're not gonna give financial advice here, but you may work out better long-term in terms of the helicopter course is gonna cost you less to do. 
I guess then the, the flip side of that is the advantage is with the vet student loans is you are kicking that cost down the road. You don't have to have that money up front, uh, but you will be paying, like any loan, you know, it's a housing loan, anything like that, you pay it back over 25, 30 years, you'll be paying a lot more than if you paid or purchased the house up front. Uh, so we just want to be super clear on that, that you do, while it's interest-free, you do get a 20% loan fee up front that goes on top of your loan for that. It does have to be completed full-time. So if you're working and you want to chip through your helicopter license in a longer period and have a sort of more flexible approach to how you turn up and book lessons, then you won't be able to do it under this uh, scheme. It has to be done as a, as a full-time course. When it comes to deliver the training, it's quite inflexible the way it's broken down as well because obviously with several periods that come off the, the vet training packages, as you go through you really need to meet those gates pretty aggressively. Uh, normal, our course structure for someone who wasn't using vet student loans has a lot of general revision factored in at the end of the syllabus that we can sort of filter throughout the course depending on if you're having particular troubles, maybe in circuits or going solo or in navigation. We've got a little bit more flexibility of how we deliver that training and, and which sorties we fly with you. And the vet student loans it's a little bit less flexible in terms of if you really do need to be making progress along the lines with how the syllabus is laid out. If you're falling behind or having a bit of a struggle at certain periods, you may have to almost step sideways for a little bit, um, self-fund a couple of flights, and then step back into the, the vet training program because it's, it's very rigid in how we can draw down the loans against the syllabus. So there is, a, I guess, a residual risk there that if you hit a part of the course where you're struggling and you're falling behind, that you may have to step sideways and actually self-fund some flying before you get back on track and continue with a vet student loan program. There's only a set number of schools that are approved and have approved courses. So you can't turn up at, at your local flying school wherever you are and, and take advantage of vet student loans. Uh, so the best place to go is on, on my skills website to see who can actually deliver the vet training loan. And I believe there's only about four schools in Australia that can actually deliver this as a, as a provider. The last point there, or one of the other points, is this is only available for commercial helicopter pilot training. If you're doing the recreational license or the private license, then it's not applicable for vet student loans. Because again, it's all factored around vocational training, where you're supposed to get a skill that's going to allow you to go and work and get a job. And hopefully, in terms of the ATR and the government, that you can then pay that back. Uh, so that's what they want at the end of the day. You do obviously complete the, the training much quicker if you're doing it this way, uh, rather than doing it self-funded at a casual sort of uh, scheduling basis. Because you are in full-time, it is heavily scheduled, and so you'll be moving through the course reasonably quickly. Do you want to talk about some of the, again, not without sounding too salesy here, we'll just give you a quick, some of the advantages we think of why AeroPower might possibly be a good option? Yeah, so one of the main advantages that we think of with AeroPower is that we are a working business, which means that you have access to our line pilots who can answer any of your questions that you may have regarding the industry because they're highly experienced people who've been around for a while. Um, so they can give you some advice and also help you out with your training. Again, you can have a look at the workings in the school that we have here and also the business itself. We have the on-site maintenance facilities, which are literally downstairs from us here, which means that we have engineers on site 
So not only does that help us with um, the aircraft maintenance and if we have breakdowns um, and things like that, it also means that those engineers are available to help out with any questions that you have. Um, quite often our chief engineer has come up and said, why is there nobody down around this helicopter while it's all pulled apart? Why are there not people down here asking me questions? So they're the kind of team that really want to help out and help you throughout the industry as well, help you get out there. Where we're based here at Redcliffe, um, we are just outside of the zones of Brisbane and we're very close though to also Archerfield and the Sunshine Coast. So although you're not operating out of a controlled zone, you are very close to them for your training. But being outside of that controlled zone as well, it also means that we're not sitting on the ground waiting for clearances. So you're not chewing up any of your training time. And also at the Redcliffe Airport here, there are no landing fees um, associated with your training. So it's just when we head up to the Sunshine Coast or Archerfield that those are incurred. And again, like we mentioned, we are an approved provider. So you may be able to have funding for student help through the Department of Human Services. But again, something we can't individually recommend to people you just you do need to talk to them direct yeah that would help offset some of your living costs while you're actually in training in that regard there is heaps of resources out there i guess online in terms of where to go out and find more information uh, for vet training loan and, and helicopter training and i guess in terms of providers to go look at so you're looking at the, the my skills government website will have a list of what courses are approved and, and where uh, the vet student loans, if you just type that into Google, you'll find, uh, again, pages there. There'll be handbooks with information for, for students and trainees that outline a lot of the restrictions, what your uh, protections are as a student, uh, what the obligations are of providers and any disputes with uh, resolutions through the ombudsman and things like that. Other ones, Cathy? Uh, Studyassist.com.au is a really good re resource in regards to students um, and what might be available for you. Also the Human Services website, and obviously our website as well, um, aeropowerflightschool.com.au. Multitude of information on there, um, as well as information about our training packages. You'll also find some really handy handbooks that you can download as well. And I guess we've recorded this to try and answer as many of the, the normal questions that we get. And again, you know, I've listened to Cathy talk through this many, many times on the phone with people, and, and most people have similar questions. Again, in, in many situations, you know, your situation is going to be unique. You're going to have questions how this relates to your individual situation. Uh, so again, I just can't recommend enough that you do as much research as you possibly can before you uh, commit to, to this because it is such a, you know, one, expensive and, and long course, but also you know, quite a difficult undertaking too for, for several weeks there. Yeah, hopefully this has answered most of the questions that, that people will have. I guess a summary of what we've covered, we've covered the you know, two biggest questions, which are about employment chances and salary. And I'll just harp on the interesting thing there that we almost try to talk you out of it initially in terms of a, of a career. Uh, and then if you're still keen after that, then we'll do our absolute best to, to look after you. We've talked about what vet student loans are and how they apply to helicopter training, what you need to meet in terms of being eligible uh, to access a loan, the typical course structure and what the electives are, We've touched on the 105-hour course versus the 150-hour course, some of the costs involved, how the application process at most providers will run, some of the pros and cons of using vet student loans for your helicopter training, and then a little bit about AeroPower in terms of how we've structured our training. So a disclaimer there that this is general advice only. Uh, as I said before, you know, please do as much of your own research as you can, and that this is all current at August 2019.
couple of other little mandatory requirements there in terms of ticking off against the uh, the vet uh, marketing <laughs> bits and pieces. So, Kathy, if you just run through those last ones there. Sure. So, Aeropower Production Limited is an approved registered training organisation, RTO number 2912. We are an approved vet student loans provider able to administer loans to eligible students, and this is a loan that's payable to the government. The maximum course cost is 109258 and that's for our advanced course, which is all-inclusive using the Robinson 44. So most of what we've spoken to you about today is our combination course, which is the or sorry, I should say our standard course, which is the Cabri G2 and the Robinson 44 combination. Fantastic. All right, Cathy, thank you so much. There's a lot of information to cover, and hopefully uh, if, if you're listening to this, you find that useful. If you made it this far, thank you very much again for listening in. This was an audio that was created originally for our, our flight school website, so I'm reusing that here, and I do apologize that it did come across as a little bit too much of a sales pitch here in this particular context in the, in the podcast setting as full disclosure you can access these vet student loans if you're in australia and eligible through a small number of other schools other than aeropower itself if you go to the myskills.gov.au website and search for helicopter you can see that other training providers if you know of anyone looking at helicopter training australia you might want to send them the link to this episode so they can get a better understanding of some of the pros and cons of the the vet student loan program That's it. We'll be back with a a more normal style uh, episode, hopefully not too far away. Until then, fly safe.